Welcome to Western Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westernroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, can you say praise the Lord? It's good. This is some of the most exciting times in the year for me. Because I get to say, off to school you go, and Priscilla's back at work, and say, off to school you go. Uh, And then I get my Mondays home alone again for a little bit. And uh, it's a bit selfish, I know, but uh, Priscilla goes, I don't get a day where I'm just home alone. I said, (laughs) touche. You're right. So I just kind of stopped saying that. Uh, But inwardly, and now this is, I just let you in on this little secret uh, I do look forward to Mondays, but I have to pull my weight around the house when I'm alone, so it's all good. I'll clean the whole thing top to bottom. But I'm, I pray you're ready for the Word of God today, and uh, I'm just trying to stay focused because my mind wants to race around and talk about a whole bunch of things, uh, but we have the Word, and I have a message that I want to share, and we're going to be speaking on the subject or the topic of identity, identity, identity. And in the mask behind the mask, this is a a biography written by Peter Evans. It's about the actor Peter Sellers and his life. But Peter Sellers played so many roles that he sometimes was not even sure of his own identity. Now, I don't know Peter Sellers. I've never watched any of his movies. This is like way before my era. Um, But someone wrote a book. And... And basically, they said he's played so many roles that he can't even sometimes remember his own identity. And he was approached once by a fan who asked him, are you Peter Sellers? And Sellers answered briskly, not today, and walked on. And so uh, in the humor of probably that occasion, right, are you Peter Sellers? Like, am I, is this a f- famous person I think you are? And he says, not today. And so it's almost like he could pick and choose because he just played so many different roles. But I wonder how many of us, too, kind of play so many different roles that perhaps we've become unsure of our own identity. And maybe in church you play the role one way, goody two-shoes, blessed and highly favored. At work you're known as, don't I don't want to, it's like a bull in a china shop, you know, you don't want to cross paths because everything might get destroyed. It's a good day and you know, I remember working and my boss would show up, everything was in order and organized and when he would show up, it was like, I called him Tasmanian devil because he would like papers and he'd look through everything, it's like, (laughs) and then he's after 10 minutes like, okay, I'll see see you in a bit, I'll be back in about three hours and I look at the office, I'm like, "What, what just happened? What just happened? And there are some people like that where you just don't, you like, don't, don't invade my space right now. There are different roles. Some of us, you know, we sing God's praises maybe in church. And then we get out there and we curse the driver who cuts us off. I don't know. But maybe we play different roles and, and we've lost who we truly are. We've lost our identity. Maybe your, your life's situation has been squeezing you so hard that y- you just don't remember what life, what normal life looked like before. And today it's okay. It's okay to be honest with yourself in your estimation of where you're at. 
It's okay to even say, you know what, I don't even remember how I used to be. And you know what, life does change. We mature, hopefully. <laughs> What's the opposite of maturing? De dematuring? I don't know. <laughs> but we're supposed to be on this progression, right? We mature. We mature as, a, as an adult or into an adult. We mature in our faith, in our spiritual walk with God. Hopefully that's the progression. So our identity might begin to change a bit, but we have to at least have a baseline for what our identity is and where it's found. Um, I just want to talk briefly before we get into the word, the difference between label or labels and identity. Because I, I do think there's a distinct difference. And in fact, the dictionary proved that my, my theory was right. Uh, but labels can be put on or taken off. People can speak over your life uh, a label like, oh, you're no good or you're so stupid. And you begin to buy into that. And that label now kind of shapes your identity, although it should never. A label can be put on, but it can also be taken off just as quickly. And the dictionary defines labels as this. A classifying phrase or name applied to a person or thing, especially one that is inaccurate or restrictive. So a label is not a, a positive thing. It's not necessarily a good thing. Usually people, when we say, oh, stop labeling people, it has a negative connotation and it's usually inaccurate and or restrictive. Now, identity is a bit different. It's a lot different, actually. Identity is tied to who you are. You can't just peel it off. You can't just put it on. I, the definition in the dictionary of identity is the fact, right? Very different than something being inaccurate. They're saying the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. So identity is more concrete. A label doesn't have a good foundation as being solid. And in, in the Bible today, if you have it with you, would you stand and turn to Matthew chapter 3 as we begin reading. Matthew chapter 3, we'll have it on the screen, but I want to dive into the Word today. We're going to be talking, like I said, on the subject of identity. Identity. Matthew chapter 3, and just before we pick up at verse 16, um, let me give you some backfill to the story. So, John the Baptist is there and he's baptizing people. And the Bible describes John as um, the forerunner. He's preparing the way for someone who would come who's greater. John didn't really know who it would be, but he was preparing the way. He was getting people ready. And basically he's baptizing people. Now Jesus comes. John didn't know that Jesus would become the Messiah uh, to, to their knowledge. He didn't have that full knowledge yet. But Jesus comes up to him and he's like, I'm going to get baptized by you. And John says, uh, I should be the one getting baptized by you. And Jesus said, no, you're going to do it right here, right now. And so in the Jordan River, Jesus is getting baptized. And now we pick up in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. If you're there, shout amen. All right, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, 
who brings me great joy. Then, chapter 4, verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, verse 7, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that as we discuss this topic of identity, we can look to your word and see your heart behind it. We can look to Jesus and the experience of his baptism. And I pray today that you would take us maybe from a place of mistaken identity, a place of maybe forgotten identity, or Lord, just for discovering it for the very first time. And God, you would have your way in this place. Lord, in each and every life, I pray for your anointing now upon my mind, my lips, and my heart, that I might speak your word only. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I know we stopped at verse 11 in the text, but the little subheading right before verse 12 in, in the New Living Translation Bible I have says this, the ministry of Jesus begins. And to be honest, I don't really read those titles and care for them too much. Um, how many of you know when, the, when this was actually written, they didn't have chapter and verse divisions like we have. We like organization. Uh, we like numbers so we can all kind of find our spot together. But from the end of chapter 3 into chapter 4, maybe if you're reading this at nighttime before bed as a devotion or you follow a guide, maybe it would stop you at the end of chapter 3 and then you say, okay, that's great, and you go to bed. But when you read this, it's actually one piece of content meant to be read together. Um, so when we read from chapter 3, and then we start verse 1 of chapter 4. It's not a new subject or like, you know, several days later, uh, unrelated. No, it's saying right after this, verse 1, then Jesus was led. Well, then what happened right before? His baptism. So right after that, they're, they're linked and they're tied. And so, I, you know, it's good to be organized and to be able to say, let's start reading at verse 16. But we have to also remember context when we read the word of God. Some things are meant to flow, and in this case, chapter 3 flows into chapter 4. And we actually find um, three big things happening in, in the story we read. The first one is Jesus' baptism. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. The second thing is when Jesus is led by the Spirit to the wilderness. And uh, he's there, he's being tested, um, your, your Bible might say tempted, 
but the actual translation is better interpreted, tested. It's a time of testing. Uh, and so then after that, the third big thing then is Jesus' ministry begins. And it's an interesting thing to, if, if you reverse engineer, because we know Jesus had a ministry, if you were to reverse engineer the story, this is it. This is how it got started. He had 30 years, but now he's baptized. He has a time of testing for 40 days where the devil comes. And yes, the devil meant to, to tempt him and to knock him out. But Jesus passed three tests. And then the Bible says his ministry begins. And I don't know how you look at your life. I don't know if many of you spend time reverse engineering, kind of like you, you're at this company working a job. I don't know if you could reverse engineer your own life and kind of map out and say, okay, now I, like I see what God was doing through it. Any, anyone know what I'm talking about? When you're in it, you don't kind of see how everything fits together, but once, it, once you're there and everything's good and okay, you can look back and be like, okay, I, I kind of see what God was doing and the journey he took me through. Life is like that. Life sometimes doesn't make sense. And the important thing as we talk about identity is the journey might change and look different season to season, but who you are and who God made you to be should not be changing. Who God is in your life doesn't change in terms of your identity as a son or a daughter. So there are these three uh, events that happen in sequence. Baptism, wilderness, time of testing, ministry starts. And the experience following Jesus' baptism, this time in the wilderness, was crucial to his future ministry. It was crucial. Um, the Gospel of Mark has an account as well of this story. And in Mark's account, it suggests that Jesus' baptism is a purely private experience. You know where he sees the, the dove, the, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on him, that, that whole thing we read. Um, that it was more of a private thing. Sure, there must have been people around. Um, but there's indication, as Mark tells it, that this was a private thing for Jesus to experience. Go and you could read it in Mark chapter 1. And the whole focus of the account is on Jesus' commissioning, not on a public revelation of his mission. So I don't want to lose you with that. Let me just break it down a bit. So no one at Jesus' baptism could have left saying he's the Messiah, right? So if this was a private thing for Jesus... And this was his commissioning, not everyone else's. This was his personal and private commissioning. It wasn't meant, his baptism was not meant to be a public revelation of his mission as Messiah. So it's important to say that. Now that statement is not fully true because I have to say this. There's one exception and it's John. He's the only exception. And in John chapter 1, we have extra insight as to what John saw. Because John chapter 1, verse 32 to 34 says this, Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. So no one else had this privilege, but John is testifying and saying that he saw it. Verse 33, I didn't know he was the one 
But when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. So John had this exceptional ability for that moment to see Because God made him a promise. The one you see the Spirit descending on is the one I chosen. And so only John had this privilege. Otherwise, this was not a public thing. I want you to really grasp that. This was a, a private thing for Jesus. And God was getting him ready now to launch into his ministry. And so verse 16, there's the descent of the Spirit of God. And it indicates the promised endowment of the Messiah. There was an anointing on Jesus, on his life, uh, and there's a promised endowment. So the, it's a symbol of that. It symbolizes his commissioning for his messianic work, not a new spiritual status. So it's not that Jesus didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit or access to that. So it's not like, oh, he went from here now to here. When David was anointed in 1 Samuel as king, that for him was a new status because the Bible says from that day on, the Holy Spirit came upon him mightily. But for Jesus, this just indicates that the, prom the promised endowment of the Messiah. In verse 17, and this if you have a highlighter or a pen, just highlight, underline it. But we hear the words of the Father And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Another translation says, You are my Son in whom I am well pleased. And so there's no suggestion that Jesus became Son of God at his baptism. It was already done. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. So that's not what the baptism about is about. That's not what the voice is about either. The Tyndale New Testament commentary on Matthew explains it this way. It was a pivotal experience, not in that it made Jesus anything, which he was not already, but in that it launched him on the mission for which he had long prepared. So if you want to reverse engineer Jesus' life, you can, you can sum it up like this. 30 years of preparation for three years of public ministry, for three days of purpose, from the, the, the death, burial, and then the resurrection of Jesus. 30 years of preparation for three years of public ministry, for three days of purpose. That's Jesus' life in a summary. And so now we move from the, from the confirmation of Jesus' status and mission at his baptism to the testing of his response to that experience. I know I'm moving fast, but I want to cover it, and I want you to get the heart of the message. So from that experience where Jesus uh, hears the voice, and he, he sees the, the Spirit of God descending like a dove on him. By the way, when we talk about the Godhead, we say the Trinity, three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. At Jesus' baptism, there is representation of the Holy Trinity right there. Because we have the voice from heaven, God the Father. Well, we have Jesus the Son. This is his baptism in water. And then we have 
the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And so it's not in the gentleness of a dove. It's more in the visual representation. The symbol, it must have looked like a dove. And it came and it rested upon him. And so there's representation. I know uh, when I was in elementary school, I got into a, a debate with a Jehovah's Witness on the school bus. And they're like, I'm like, no, the Trinity, God the Father. And they're like, show me where it says it in the Bible. I looked for a week. I should have just asked my mom because she helped me understand. She goes, well, the word Trinity, I don't think you'll find it in the Bible. But Trinity means tri-unity, three in one. And so when she took me to the baptism of Jesus, there's even a record at creation uh, where it says the spirit hovered over the water. And, and then John talks about Jesus was there from the very foundation of the earth. So God said, let us make man in our image. Um, so there is also reference. That's just for free. That's a bonus um, in case some, someone this week needs that little nugget. So that's, that's for you. But we move now from this glorious experience for Jesus to the time of testing in the wilderness. And the part for me that is often hard to understand, because when we think of temptation, the Bible is pretty clear that it's me. I'm enticed by the flesh. I'm lured. I'm attracted to. And so that's why when you look at the root word in, in the Greek, perazo, it's actually referring to testing, and it's not actually used as temptation in that way, except for two times. But 36 other times, Pierazo is used as testing. And for Jesus, all the commentators um, are, are saying the same thing, that this testing is of this response to the experience of his baptism. So now God said, you are my son in whom I am well pleased, and uh, there's this... You know, he's being thrust, he's being commissioned into ministry, but it never comes without its own test and its own uh, time of testing. And so you could bet that the devil's authority is being threatened now because of Jesus' inauguration and his great commissioning now. The devil's not dumb either. He knows what's going on. And so though it's, it's meant as testing, for the Bible said that it was the spirit that led him into the wilderness. He was weak in, in body because he was fasting. And the Bible says he was very hungry after 40 days. I'm hungry after about four minutes some nowadays, uh, eating salad and nuts most of the time. And I'm like, can, can I have a bit more? Um, but, but I couldn't imagine 40 days. So physically, the flesh is weak at that point. So anything would sound alluring when you're talking about turn this stone into bread. I'd be like, how do you do that? 40 days. But this is a, test, a time of testing for Jesus. Luke 3.24 tells us, I know we're jumping, but like, how do we know how old Jesus was? Luke 3.24. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. So this is all happening um, at this point in time in his life. What a dramatic moment after 30 years of living. But he's led into the wilderness by the Spirit. He's led there. You know, sometimes um, we just have to say, okay, this is the season I'm walking through. And we might not always understand it, but we have to understand that God has a purpose. Amen? There are seasons that come that feel like storms or that are storms, but I, I believe 
that they're there sometimes to strengthen us, strengthen our faith. And I will preach a message on this one day, but uh, the question of is it roots or is it fruit? Is it roots or is it fruit? Is it a season where we're digging roots or is it a season where we're supposed to be seeing fruit? Because I don't know about you, but my in-laws have an apple tree. Or they have a few actually on their property. Um, in winter, there are no apples that grow. So I could get mad at the tree, right? I say, what's wrong with you? Are you dead? Right? But it's a, it's a root season. It's a rest season. It's a season where that tree is resting in winter. But guess what? The season changes, and then it's a season to bear fruit. And one day I'm going to preach on that. Maybe it'll be next Sunday. I'm not sure. Um, but in the wilderness, uh, Jesus is there. Some of us, maybe we're just there. It's a time of testing, but God wants to strengthen our roots. God wants us to grow and to be strong because, uh, let's be honest, we want to get busy for God right away. I get it. Some of us just want to see fruit. Any, anything else is unacceptable. Some of us just want the blessing. Some of us just want to see progress. My wife, she's like that. It's like, if, if I don't see progress, what did you do at home all day? Um, it was a busy day, and you try to answer how, right? And so, but people like, see it, what I did there? Just Oh, speaking of, that wasn't quite planned. No, I'm kidding. Um, I do want them back on stage, don't worry. But, but here's the thing. Now I'm a little nervous. <laughs> I love you, babe. People love to see progress. I didn't lose where we're at, don't worry. People love to see progress, but sometimes we're in that wilderness season, and we have to understand, okay, God, what's going on, and what are you up to? I want to know. I want to know. See, Jesus wasn't confused. He was there fasting. He was led by the Spirit, but I want to talk about what the devil said to him. And we're going to tie this back to what God said. The devil said this in verses 3 and 6. He repeats, he starts his phrases the same way to Jesus. If you are the Son of God, and then he finishes his phrase. If you are the Son of God. So what is the devil actually saying to Jesus in this time of testing? Well, he's challenging Jesus' identity as the Son of God. He's challenging Jesus' identity. If you really are the Son of God, do this. Second time, if you really are the Son of God, do that. And Jesus both times says, nope. And he responds with Scripture out of Deuteronomy 6, chapter 6 to chapter 8. If you have time, go home and read it. But basically, that's for Israel in their wilderness experience. You see where God's people failed in the Old Testament in the wilderness? And we said it last week, I think it was. It took like 40 years for them to get somewhere where it could have only taken three days. Well, Jesus didn't miss the opportunity. He passed. He passed the test. And he used scripture from Deuteronomy 6, 8. If you really are the Son of God, hold on. Let's rewind. What did God say at Jesus' baptism? You are my son in whom I am well pleased. We forget quickly 
as humans, our tendency is to forget our identity is in Christ. We tend to forget what, what the Word of God already tells us. If you really are the Son of God, no, I am, devil, thank you very much. I know exactly who I am in Christ. I, I know exactly who I am because God said, I am. And then the, the third thing he says, he says, uh, I will give, see, he takes him, he says, see all this? I'll give it all to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. It's almost as if he's going to say, I'm going to bestow my favor on you. I will give you all this my favor will be yours. But when Jesus was baptized, God said, You are my son in whom I am well pleased. Well pleased. Jesus already had the favor of his father, and he already had the approval of his father. So what more do you need? What more do you need? Your identity is found in Christ. And you see this? Check this out. The devil's words are directly opposing the words that were spoken by God at Jesus' baptism. God already affirmed Jesus' identity, and God was already pleased with his son. And guess what? His ministry didn't even begin. A lot of times we think, I need to strive to do this so that God would be pleased with me. I need to strive to, to, to do all of those things so that God would be happy with me. I need to do all of these things. I need to give more money so that God could forgive my sin. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. You see, Jesus, we said it, 30 years of preparation. He didn't do anything. He didn't accomplish anything. He didn't heal anyone yet. He didn't preach yet. He didn't teach yet, except for when he was 12. The Bible says he was there talking. He didn't share one parable yet. He didn't perform a miracle yet. It took 30 years just for him to be ready to get baptized. Some of us, you know, you're hard on yourself. God already sent his son for you. God already paid the ultimate price. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Think about it. What have you been striving for? What have you been trying to, to do for God? Stop. Stop. He already did it all. All he wants is you. All he wants is you. I want to end just as we're about to hear this song with the word striving. You see, when I look at this experience, I, I read it with fresh eyes. Like Jesus was baptized, God was already pleased with him. Already, but he didn't start his ministry. Where was Jesus' identity? He was a son. Where's your identity? You're a son and a daughter of God. And the world will try to tell you differently. The world will try to say you can pick and choose your identity. And it's, it's gone all the way down through 
gender identity confusion, all of this uh, scary stuff. But we're not God and we can't play God. But there's no striving in Him. There's striving when you try to do everything else. I got to try to look like this or I got to try to look like that. With God, there's no striving. So stop. Stop trying. Doesn't mean give up on life. Doesn't mean um, stop serving at Weston. That's not what we're saying. Stop trying to impress God. You can't. God loves you already. He's already pleased with you. The fact that you're in church on a long weekend, I mean, God must be super smiling down on us today. There's no striving in Him. Students, teachers, you're going back to school. The year's long, I get it. There's no striving in Him. Give God your year. Give your best to students. Give your best to your teachers. It's for your own benefit. Teachers, give your best for the kids. But guess what? God already loves you. It's not about how much you serve kids or students, teachers, students. It's not how, how like, teacher, I'll help you. And, like, there's no striving with God. You don't have to play that game with Him. He simply says, I'm pleased with you. I love you. Stop striving. You don't have to. Just show up. Just show up. Spend time in my presence. I'm going to invite Priscilla to lead us in this song. One of my friends, they are actually, Matt and Carla Stinton came in November when we were at the school across the street. And they, he wrote this song. He led it uh, that first time here. But I, I want us to just listen and receive as this song is sung. If you want to sing, you can. You can worship God. But I'm going to come up later and lead us into a time of prayer um, that, that we would be who we truly are meant to be and created to be. So there's no striving. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope listening to this week's sermon has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.